All right. Well, hey, welcome to the Mill Church. We're glad you're here. If you're new this morning, we would love for you to uh, oblige in filling out a welcome card if you've never done that before. That way we know a little bit more about you. You can do that on your smartphone at themill.church slash welcome, themill.church slash welcome. You can also do that at the back uh, before you leave. We are in a series in the Gospel of John. Today's the fifth Sunday, and this week we're going to look at John 21 at a character named Peter. Character named Peter. How many of you ever heard of Peter? All right, most of us. So before I jump in, if you want to turn there to John 21, I will give you a couple more, uh, a couple announcements this morning, and they are these. Next Sunday, November the 14th, we're going to be having a Thrivent workshop during the second service in the Commons area. So Thrivent is a financial advising firm. We have a couple Thrivent members uh, in our church. They, they assist in all manners of cradle-to-grave personal finance. And one of them, Nate Heeg, is going to be doing a basic introductory lesson to personal finance uh, this uh, next Sunday, November the 14th, during the second service in the Commons area. So if you're newly married or terrible with your finances, this would be a great opportunity for you. Uh, just uh, check it out next week. Also, uh, this is the, I believe, uh, yeah, we're, we're a couple weeks out yet from Thanksgiving, but this is an opportunity to either serve or eat on Thanksgiving Day. We're giving a meal some of you have said, we have family that's out of town. We're not going to see them this Thanksgiving. We'd love to serve a Thanksgiving meal to those that are otherwise eating alone. And you're going to be here making turkey and trimmings for Thanksgiving. Uh, others of you may be alone and want to come eat. And we'd love for you to come eat Thanksgiving Day. So just want to remind you that this is happening. If you'd be so kind as to let us know at the mill.church slash events, the mill.church slash events. You can pick up, uh, rather uh, click on the uh, Thanksgiving Day meal and just let us know you're coming. We would appreciate that to have some kind of gauge on how many we have to feed. Peter, uh, I think, is a little different than some of these other stories that we've looked at in that Peter is the kind of proverbial goofball of the bunch. He says a lot of ill-advised things. He makes a fool of himself on numerous occasions in the gospel. He sticks his foot in his mouth on a regular basis. And in particular, he's not a guy that doesn't believe in Jesus, but he did really, um, in some ways, quit believing. And you're going to see how Jesus brings him back to belief this morning. So if you'd say, I've had a time in my life where I've quit believing and come back to Christ, or I'm having a hard time believing right now for any number of reasons, then I would say that you can identify with Peter. Chapter 21 of the Gospel of John, this is what we read in the first verse. After this, Jesus revealed himself again. Jesus revealed himself again. And I'd like to pause and just kind of communicate where we are in the context of Jesus' life. This is post 
resurrection, okay? So this is after Jesus has died, after Jesus has risen from death, Jesus reveals himself again. And it looks as though the story is over in John chapter 20, but that's not the case because there's been one key guy who is noticeably absent from these resurrection narratives that have been happening, and that's Peter. And Peter is such a presence throughout the Gospel of John. Uh, the last real mention of Peter, however, was pre-resurrection. In fact, pre-crucifixion when Jesus, or rather Peter, would deny Jesus three times. Do you remember this? Peter was asked by a couple of teenage girls, do you know this Jesus of Nazareth? And Peter says... No, I do not, never met the man. Uh, so you can move on with finding and, and possibly putting to death some of his uh, followers. So P Peter would deny Jesus. Jesus had told the disciples that they would all uh, forsake him, if you remember. And Peter was actually the one who stood there boldly and said, Even if all these other losers deny you, Jesus, I will not. I never will. And Jesus predicted, Jesus prophesied, Jesus said, actually, you will, Peter, not once, but three times and before the rooster crows. Okay? And sure enough, sure enough, Peter's accused of being one of Jesus' followers. Peter denies Jesus to three different people. And then off in the distance, he hears what? He hears a rooster Crowing. Don't you know he wanted to throttle that rooster at that point? Okay? Want to wring its neck. And this rooster crows. Peter was humiliated. Peter was embarrassed. Peter was ashamed of himself. He knew that he had failed Jesus. So if we've looked at the characterizations in the first four weeks of uh, numerous types of people, Peter would be the type of person who has failed. He'd be the type of person who has failed. So if you have failed in your walk with Christ, then I think we all have to varying degrees, then this sermon is for you. Maybe you, like Peter, were Mr. or Mrs. Bold and Confident. Maybe you, like Peter, made some big promise. I'll never deny you, Jesus. I'm a little ashamed to admit this, but I, I have thought as much, if not shared as much, all throughout my teenage years when I was passionately pursuing Jesus Christ, and I got to grad school, and I slipped considerably. And I remember being in a bar one night and meeting a beautiful woman in grad school, and she asked me what I was studying. And you know what I said? How many of you know that most beautiful women in that setting wouldn't think too kindly uh, to hear somebody say sacred choral music? <laughs> Ooh, I'm just dying to meet a guy studying sacred choral music. You know what I said? I said business. I was Peter. I denied Jesus to advance my own interests. I think we've all done it in some way 
or another. So this gospel won't end, thankfully, until Peter has been brought back in. He knew, I knew, Peter knew that he had failed Jesus in, in the most, you know, the worst possible way. Um, how many of you are thankful today that Jesus brought you back in before the ending of your narrative? Okay? Before the story of your life concluded. Um, so this gospel is not just about Jesus' story. It's about Peter's story. It's about our story as well. And before we read, again, I would say, how many of you have caved at some point in your belief? How many of you, like me, have ever felt like an abject failure in the faith? Um, here's what we read. If that's you, the text is for you in verse 1 of 21, chapter 21. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the sea. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. How would you like, by the way, to be one of those two others who weren't, whose names weren't even mentioned in the record? Like, what's the deal with that, right? He didn't remember who I was. They named everybody else in this account. Everybody gets a name except for me. There was Simon, Thomas, Nathaniel, and two other guys. It's kind of like being cropped out of a photo. Anybody ever been cropped out of a photo? That's kind of a miserable feeling when you see somebody else's profile pic go up and you knew you were once in it, but you're not in it. So we have Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel, James and John, and two other guys. There's seven there in total. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. How many of you like to fish? None of you. Okay, okay. One, two, three, four, five. How many of you like to fish? What are you embarrassed by? All right, half the room. It's not that you don't like to fish. It's that you're sleepy or something. So lots of people like to fish. So he says, I'm going fishing. See, fishing was what Peter did before he came to Jesus. He was a fisherman. This is what he did for a living. He says, I'm going to fish. Peter, depressed over his failure when he denied Jesus Christ, is going back to his pre-Jesus life. Well, I failed Jesus. I might as well do a little fishing. And they, the other six, said to him, well, we will go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Peter goes back to his old way of life, and it's just not the same. It's just not the same. He fishes all night. He catches nothing. I can remember sitting all day in a tree, bow hunting, and seeing nothing. What a miserable feeling, sitting out in the cold all day long and seeing nothing, um, getting skunked. You ever use that word? Peter stayed up all night, and Peter got skunked, and he's discouraged. He went back to his old way of life. He doesn't find joy in it anymore. He's seeing too much. He's been with Jesus 
too much to ever be happy with his old way of life. He's like, I've seen the, you know, the multitudes fed. I've seen the, the blind have their sight restored. I've seen the lame walk. I've, I've seen the dead raised sitting in a tree all day long. Just doesn't cut it for me anymore like it used to. So Peter has seen too much to be happy again as a fisherman. But he's too discouraged with the way that he's rejected Jesus to be happy with God. He doesn't feel worthy. So here he is in this unique spot where he can't get settled. Verse 4. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that this is Jesus. Now, if you'll remember, this isn't the first time this has happened, what we're about to read, this set of instructions that Jesus is going to give. This is the second time that this happens. Do you remember what, Je what Peter is doing when Jesus calls him? He's trying to catch fish and he can't have fish. So this, this whole cast your net on the other side of the boat thing, it didn't happen just once, it happened twice. So here are the disciples, they're fishing, and Jesus stands on the shore. The disciples don't know it is him. Verse 5, Jesus said, children, do you have any fish? Do you think Jesus knew the answer to his own question? Of course he did. Do you have any fish? They answered no. He said to them, cast the net on the other side, the right side of the boat, and you'll find some fish. Don't you know this has to be like the worst thing you can say to a fisherman? How many of you have ever fished and, and been given advice while you're fishing? Say, I don't want to be given advice while I'm fishing. I don't want to be given advice while I'm hunting. I just want to do my thing. Don't tell me about the articles you've, read, you've read, you know? I just want, I, I want to do my own research. This is their posture. I'm a grown man. Jesus even calls them children. He's like, I'm not a child. I'm grown. And then, knowing full and well that they had been fishing all night and caught nothing, Jesus says, hey, you, you, kids, you kids catch anything? And he, he offers them some fishing advice. Well, maybe you should, should throw your nets on the other side. Here's some, here's some bow hunting advice. Maybe you should grunt, grunt, rattle, grunt, instead of rattle, rattle, grunt, rattle. Maybe that's what you should do, fellas. Here's some football advice. I know you're down 35 at halftime, but maybe you should run it to the left side off the left guard instead of the right guard during the whole second half. Maybe that'll do it. And understand, Peter has no idea who this is giving him unsolicited advice. And generally, bad advice, wouldn't you agree? It's not as simple as throwing the net on the other side of the boat. If you haven't caught fish all night, that wouldn't normally work if God weren't involved, right? So can you just see Peter saying, oh, the right side of the boat, huh? But the guy in The Chosen, the series about Jesus' life, depicted this response so well. Really? Really? I should throw the net on the other side of the boat. And in frustration, Peter takes the net and he throws it in. And can't you just see him looking through the fog at the man on the And all of a sudden, the water just starts to, to bubble. Now, here's a quick question. Why is Jesus doing this? 
Why? Why is Jesus asking something of them when Jesus could have, if he'd wanted, to fill their net with fish without having them throw the net on the other side? He just could have just said, do it again. Same side. Trust it. Why is Jesus having them switch sides? Jesus wants them to see clearly that this has absolutely nothing to do with them. The ridiculousness of the advice was ridiculous on purpose. Jesus is trying to get them to be honest with themselves and see him, the guy on the shore, as high and lifted up and to crush any notion that they have of their own self-reliance. Note that Jesus doesn't come along and say, No, sweet Peter, sweet Peter, you're not the dummy that you think you are. You didn't really deny me that badly, Peter. Jesus doesn't come along and say that. What does Jesus do? Jesus comes along and shows Peter he's even less capable than he thinks he is right after he's denied the Christ. Even though he's already discouraged. Jesus effectively is saying this. Peter, get your focus off of who? Yourself. Get your focus off of you. Think about the things of God. Find God's new plan for your life. And it starts by being honest about your current or old life. The first person you need to quit lying to, Peter, is yourself. You need to determine once and for all, I'm not happy with my former self. I'm not happy. These relationships are getting old. These parties are getting old. I wake up feeling dirty. I wake up feeling hollow. I don't like where I've been. I don't like where I'm going. Jesus wanted Peter to admit this. I've done it all night. And I've taken in nothing. Verse 6b, so they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it all in because of the quantity of fish. After Peter spitefully casts the net on the other side, the whole right side of the boat submerges in the water because it can't stay up under the strain of the weight of all inactivity of all those fish. Verse 7, that disciple whom Jesus loved, that is John's reference to himself. Anytime we see the disciple that Jesus loved, we're talking about John. Therefore said to Peter, it is, John recognizes it first, who's the man on the shore? It is the Lord. And when Simon Peter learned that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work. He must have thought he wasn't modest enough for the Savior and what he was wearing. He throws on an outer garment, and he throws himself into the sea. Verse 8, the other disciples came in the boat. They're not jumping in with Peter. They're going to take the boat to shore, dragging the net behind 
full of fish, for they were not far from land, but about a hundred yards off. And when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place. How many of you like charcoal? Any smokers, charcoal smokers in here? Not that you smoke charcoal, you know what I mean. You smoke food with charcoal, okay? Pellet, pellet fans, pellet fans, one pellet fan, two pellet, charcoal fans. All right, this is a debate, right? So on the shore is some charcoal. A fire is there. A fish is laid out on it, and some bread is prepared. And Jesus says to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter went on board. Now he's soaking wet. He's made it back to the beach. And he goes back on the boat and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them, they must have counted. We have this in the, in the narrative. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Now notice what is distinct about Peter in this story. Peter is the only fisherman who swam to shore. He swims. And he swims. I would argue 100 yards isn't a long way to run or walk, but it's a good distance to swim. He swims. And he swims. And when he's done swimming, he jumps back on the boat and he starts hauling the net in by himself. It's as if he's saying, look at me, Jesus. I'm the most devoted. Jesus, I want to be the first to see you. Jesus, watch me work. Jesus, clearly I'm most devoted among those here. Jesus, I'm hauling in fish. And meanwhile, Jesus is standing there with a seaside breakfast already caught or already poofed into existence. We don't know where Jesus got the fish. Prepared for Peter. Maybe he just, maybe just made a few fillets appear. Boom. What we know is that Jesus had fish on the fire. When they had just spent all night trying to find fish. Does Jesus, let me ask you this question. Does Jesus need Peter's fish? He doesn't. He already has fish. He doesn't need Peter's fish. So what is the contrast then in this chapter? The contrast that we experience when we read this story is between Peter's feeling that he needs to prove himself to Jesus and Jesus' invitation for him to sit down and have breakfast. That's the contrast. By the way, again, this wasn't the first time Jesus had done this. Um, if you'll remember, in the first encounter, Peter realized the glory of Jesus and who he was, and, and that he could command even the fish where to be. And he fell on his face, and he said, Depart from me when he was called, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. That was Peter's response to all the fish the first time. Seeing the glory of Jesus made him want to run away 
and cower, now seeing the glory of Jesus with these 153 large fish, makes Peter want to jump out of the boat that he's in and be near Jesus. So clearly something positive was happening in Peter's heart already. And I would say, church family, that that's where we know that we're starting to understand the gospel. When your sin, you know, anytime I believe we see God high and lifted up, we're going to feel, by comparison, sinful. This is what happened to Peter twice now. But notice his first sin caused him to hide from God, and this second sin caused him to want to be near God. I think when you understand the gospel, your sin makes you desire to be near God and not to hide from him. And that's what happens with Peter's heart. That means he's starting to get it. He's starting to sense the Father's kindness. And, and Peter is, is getting how much the Father loves him, but he's still trying to impress Jesus. He's still trying to prove himself and to do it with grit and elbow grease and earn his salvation. And that's some of us, I think. We know God loves us, but we're still trying to prove ourselves. We haven't learned to sit with him and enjoy a couple fillets of fish over breakfast. We haven't learned to simply enjoy his presence. We haven't learned to rest in God. When we learn that Jesus has already done it all, he's already caught and prepared the proverbial breakfast, he's already stretched out his arms and died in our place, on a tree, he's already finished the work of salvation, that there's nothing we can do to make Jesus love us anymore, that there's nothing we can do to make Jesus love us any less, that's when we start to understand the gospel. Some of us here today put pressure on ourselves to do things so that we will be accepted by Jesus. So that Jesus will make us breakfast. So we do things to be accepted by him. I got to work on my scripture memory. I got to share Christ. I got to tithe. I got to give to the poor. I got to give to missions. The gospel is that we're already accepted by Jesus. The work is complete. Jesus doesn't need all these fish that we've caught because Jesus can wave his finger and make 153 of them appear from the ocean floor. And when we understand the nature of the gospel, it frees us up to live our lives out of want to and not out of have to. For some of you, like Peter, the word restful is the last word that you would ever use to describe yourself. Restful. Particularly in a hard-working context like central, rural Wisconsin. We know very little of rest. You constantly feel unsettled and guilty 
and overwhelmed. And you feel like you've got to prove yourself. And you always feel like there's more things that you should be doing. Understand, I'm not saying that Christians ought not to be hardworking. What I am saying is that we must have a different spirit than Peter had in this story. We don't need to work to be accepted. We work because we've already been accepted. Because Jesus has already loved us. They don't work because Jesus needs them. We work because we find great joy in being with Jesus, cooperating him with him on his mission to reach the world. So Jesus says, let's finish the story. Come have breakfast. Now in verse 15, when they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? <laughs> it's as if Jesus is setting up for him up for yet another failure. Do you love me? Let's really hear about your self-righteousness, Peter. Let's really hear that expression. Do you love me more than all these other disciples? And Peter says, yes, Jesus, I, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, well, feed my sheep. Jesus says to Peter again, we don't know how much time transpired between these statements, but he says a near identical statement. Peter, do you love me? Jesus says, uh, or yes, Jesus, Peter responds, I, you know I love you. And again, Jesus says, feed my sheep. And then Jesus asks a third time. Again, we don't know how much time has transpired. It would seem like this is immediate. Peter, do you love me? And the Gospels teach that when Jesus asks him the third time, Peter became upset. Peter became upset. Because Peter sees the corollary between the number of times that Jesus asks him this question and the number of times that Peter what? Denied Jesus. It hits him. In fact, it would appear as though Jesus sets up this whole situation, this whole event to remind Peter of his failure. Consider that Peter denied Jesus to teenage girls around a campfire. What are they sitting around right here? A campfire. Eating fish. Jesus said, do you love me more than these, more than the other disciples? Peter's exact words to Jesus prior had been, even if all these disciples deny you, I won't. And Jesus says, do you really love me more than them, Peter? In other words, how well did you do on your boast, Peter, when the rubber met the road? Why is Jesus doing this? Is this cruelty? Is he rubbing it in? Is he trying to do it to embarrass Peter? I would say, no, this is actually tenderness. Jesus is trying to show Peter that his acceptance is not based on his performance. I prepared breakfast for you, Peter, after 
you denied me three times. I love you, Peter. I want to be in relationship with you, Peter. Quit trying to prove yourself. Quit trying to spin the plates. Quit trying to appear righteous and holy and trust in me. And I think somebody here needs to hear this this morning. Before God, before God, it's not the same before your spouse. It's not the same before your friend. It's not the same before your employer. But before God, the basis of your acceptance is not your performance. It's not. If the gospel has one agenda in this story, I think it's to convince us that our performance is not the basis of our acceptance. Jesus' love and acceptance are given to us as gifts. As gifts based on his finished work. God allows us to fail so that we can see that it is his grace that saves us. It is the invitation to breakfast after our failure and not our swimming and not our hauling of nets and working that's brought us to where we are. Hardworking people don't want to hear this. But the greatest enemy to the gospel is your self-sufficiency. Some of you are self-made men and women. Some of you have built your identity on being sufficient for the task at hand. Always capable. Always prepared. Always organized. Always finishing first. And praise God for that. But understand, that's the very thing that also keeps us from ever really knowing God. That's the very thing that also keeps us from ever really depending on God. Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to get into heaven. That means rich in not only resources, but rich in abilities. Rich in righteousness. It is so much easier for weakness and poverty to lay hold of Jesus Christ. Not because Jesus doesn't love those of you who are strong. Not that Jesus doesn't love those of you who are capable, but because your very gifts keep you from realizing how dependent on Jesus you really are. Your strengths keep you from realizing how fragile your soul is. Your self-righteousness from how desperately you need forgiveness. And I need forgiveness. We need Jesus. Jesus.
and he's invited us to breakfast. How will we get there? By proving ourselves to him? Or by saying, Jesus, you've done it all. You've set the table. You've broiled the fish. You've lit the fire after gathering the wood. You hung on the tree. You've done it all. It has nothing to do with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray for those of us today who are here who have failed you. I pray, Lord, for those of us here whose failure hits us particularly hard because we've thought we were above failure. We've thought we were A1. We've thought we were top shelf. We've thought we had all our ducks in a row. Lord, I pray that we would realize that no amount of grinding will get us into heaven. That we must fully depend on you setting the table for us and inviting us to join you. We thank you, Jesus. We treasure you. We are powerless. We depend on you to save us. Is there anybody here who would say, if it all heads bowed, I'd like, I'd like to become a Christian today? I'd like to go to the breakfast. I believe Jesus died for me. I know it de doesn't depend on me. I'd like to follow him. Would anybody say that just by looking up? Locking eyes with me, awesome. Anybody else? Awesome. Praise the Lord. Awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Anybody else? Is everybody here who believes in the two individuals that just made eye contact with me say these words after me, this prayer? Heavenly Father, I can't do this on my own. I can't build a bridge high enough to get to heaven. I need a Savior. I'm a sinner. I've fallen short. I've failed. Rescue me. Set the table for me. I receive your invitation. I believe that you died. I believe that you rose again for me. I love you. I'll follow you. I'll serve you. 
the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, can we celebrate what God did here this morning? Awesome.